someone messaged they were like can we have a virtual meeting and i was like no no we can't i can't really speak today so, yeah like maybe we can wait till a bit later in the week to do that just make sure they don't listen to this because yeah this is basically a virtual meeting yeah exactly. it's a virtual meeting you didn't have with them you're yeah. having with us i have to save it to do it now <laughs> that's a good reason What is the Feature Length Podcast? Anyone? Uh, the Feature Length Podcast is a show where three idiots talk about film and entertainment. Good answer! Hey guys, what's up? <laughs> hey, are you talking to us? Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking to the voices in my head. <laughs> like, I truly, I truly don't know. It felt like a fever dream. I swear to God, I It sounds so stupid hearing that. <laughs> If you're listening to this, this is a podcast. Welcome back to the Feature Length Podcast. Welcome back to the Feature Length Podcast. Welcome back to the Feature Length Podcast, a podcast where we talk about movies and TV for a feature length of time. Celine and Jesse meet on a train in Europe. Jesse, a secret romantic, is on his way to Vienna to catch a flight back to America. Celine, a self-proclaimed romantic but fierce feminist, is returning home to Paris after visiting her grandmother. On a whim, Jesse asks Celine to get off the train with him in Vienna to keep him company until his morning flight. Surprisingly, Celine says yes, and the two spend the evening wandering and rambling, dancing, drinking, and making love. In the morning, the two panic at the idea of never seeing each other again, and without exchanging any contact information, plan to meet again in six months. That is Before Sunrise. Before Sunset is the second film in the Before trilogy, starring Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy, and directed by Richard Linklater. Jesse and Celine run into each other almost a decade after their first date, having failed to return to each other after that night like they promised. Jesse is now a published author who has just released his first book to huge success. The book just so happens to be about his night with Celine in 1994, and this captures her attention when the book tour comes to Paris, where she lives. After stopping by the book signing, she and Jesse see each other for the first time in over nine years, and they catch up over a stroll around the city before sunset, which is when Jesse has to leave for his flight out of Paris. Before Midnight is the final film in the Before trilogy, directed by Richard Linklater and once again starring Julie Depley and Ethan Hawke. The film picks up around a decade after the events of Before Sunset and pays off the consequences of the idyllic romantic love affair of our two protagonists. While still keeping a similar overall style and tone, the film ramps up the drama and shows us how even that the truest of true loves still take place in the real world and have real world consequences. That's life, baby. And with that, welcome to the Major Length Podcast, um, a podcast hosted by me, Carolina, as well as Dan. Hello. And Marco, who hey. um, is a little sick today, um, so you may hear some coughs that I might be too lazy to edit out. Um, don't blame <laughs> him for anything dumb he says. Yeah, I am uh, not in a great state of mind <laughs> or physical health right now, but what what a better perspective to talk about a Richard Linklater movie than like with real life happening oh my God, in stop. front of me and, and with me right now to be able to talk <laughs> about these movies. No point hiding it. You know what I mean? This isn't fantasy world. This is life. Oh my god. This is real life. This is real uh, life. Quick question. That uh, that's life, baby. Is that like a an actual Richard Linklater? No, quote? that's just how I described um, 
his movie making style in our chat. Oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that actually came from somewhere. Yeah. No. Just yeah. Me, the mind of me. <laughs> yeah. I think it was after I joked about the fact that once again, this is a movie of his that the structure of which uh, has to do with time, real life time jumps. Yeah. And your response, Carol, was, "Yeah, that's his style because that's life, baby." And I was oh, like, "Okay, well." It. And That's am I fair. wrong? <laughs> I mean, you're not. No, you're not wrong. Isn't that what so, all movies want to do? Capture reality, but in a more romantic light? Okay. How, who, okay, who's going to start? I think Carol <laughs> should start. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, my experience with these films is that I watched them at some point in high school, I believe, because my mom... Um, is also a rom-com stan and so she always was like this is a classic um you should definitely watch it and i was like okay i will um and so i guess i probably watched it around the time that the third one came out if it was 2013 um that's probably what prompted her to be like oh it's coming out watch them all uh so i did not in theaters or anything obviously um i didn't even see the last one in theaters um, I just, you know, watched them all illegally. Haha. Ha. Um, and yeah, I remember really liking them because I kind of like anything that's vaguely romantic. Although I will not lie, I remember the first one really, really well. The second one, I just remembered the basic plot of, but kind of nothing else. Um, and after watching it again, I kind of understand why, because um, it's just so short and so abruptly, but we'll get there. Um, and then <laughs> the last one, I remembered absolutely nothing about. Um, and so watching it again for this episode felt like the first time. Um, yeah. And I'm not going to lie, I kind of like them all a little less watching them before this recording, but once again, we'll get into it as we go further into the episode. I think these movies would be enjoyed by maybe like hopeless romantics or people like in a new relationship or like really young people, especially the first film. I find if you're like in your late teens, early 20s, and like you are as dumb as they are, I think you'd really love it. Um, <laughs> but I think as soon as you pass over that hump, or maybe just because of the nature of the world today, I feel like myself and everyone I know is just a pure cynic and hates everything. So um, it's kind of hard to see these two dumb kids be like, haha, romance, love, feminism, politics, let's meet up in six months, cute. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Maybe that's just a me thing. I'm interested to see if you guys kind of felt the same. Um, but yeah, so I think you need to be like a pretty optimistic, romantic person to enjoy these films. Although the last one definitely is more based in realism because it takes place so much later and they like have complicated lives and families at this point to tie in and a lot of history together. Um, so I will say it is kind of nice that it does span that time to give that perspective but I it still just I don't know it still doesn't hit as hard as it did before I became the cynic that I now am so yeah just you gotta be you gotta be a happy person I think <laughs> or just like honestly 
Julie Delpy, if you just want to look at look at her performance, I would also recommend it for that. Okay. Uh, I'll go next. Um, so, I watched these for the first time uh, for this, and I'd heard before now that they were like a very acclaimed like perfect trilogy um so i was excited and i was kind of let down and before i go any further i know like i'm wrong (laughs) all three of these movies are very acclaimed and i'm sure there's a reason why (laughs) um i just really did not i really didn't fuck with them too much like they just really didn't do anything for me um again like i'm i'm in the wrong i'm in the minority here but i don't know i just felt like the first two didn't really have too much it didn't have too many stakes so i didn't really i wasn't too invested i think the last Damn, one that's life baby <laughs> even life has stakes though <laughs> the last one though like when they start in like the last half of the last movie when that whole big fight starts like that was the most exciting part of the whole trilogy for me what i do like about all of these movies despite not really vibing with them too much is i like how you can almost think of them as uh, each movie is one act of a very long movie. Mm-hmm. And I, I, th- I prefer to look at them that way uh, rather than j- just because each one on its own feels sort of incomplete. Like it doesn't feel like a, a satisfying story on its own, but I feel like putting them all together makes it more of a satisfying, fully told story. Um, one more thing I want to point out right away is when the second one started... And Ethan Hawke started talking about, um, like, how he wrote the book on the events of the first movie. I thought it was going to be a really cool meta thing where it retconned that the first movie was just, a, like, a, a retelling of someone reading the book. And, like, mm. maybe it was, maybe that's not actually how the night went, but it's just more of an idealistic version of how he thought the night went. Because they start talking about how they're remembering the night differently and like 10 years later who knows what happened but it didn't really turn into that it was just sort of a minor or not even like that that just didn't happen that wasn't what happened at all so that was a little bit disappointing because that that would have elevated it like very much so for me uh the second one did just kind of turn into a shorter version of the first movie but with the characters being a little bit more mature and i'll agree with what you said carolina about especially in the first movie like the two characters are very almost annoyingly naive (laughs) and hey we've all been there (laughs) i know i know we've all been there again i'm wrong like this is not (laughs) i respect that i'm like these movies are very appreciated so i don't want to piss anyone off and i didn't hate these movies like i didn't even really i can't even say i disliked them i just they i guess they just weren't for me uh if and I'll, I'll go into my recommendation now, bridging off that. If you're someone who likes, like, romance movies in their purest, most potent form... Yeah, like, not even a rom-com. Is this is just no. a rom, period. Don't expect like, to laugh. <laughs> the romance is the A-plot. Like, that is yeah. the the plot, the only plot of these movies. So if you like that, I mean, yeah, you'll probably like these movies. Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy um, are good. Um, they're both good actors. They're good in these... You can feel that, like, regardless, you can feel the chemistry between them for sure. In fact, all the movies hinge off that, basically, so that better work, and it does work. So they have that going for it. And, yeah, if you're if you're into that sort of thing, um, 
you should check these out. If not, you probably won't get too much out of them, but they are Richard Linklater, so you might still want to give them a shot. I'm glad I watched them because of just what I've heard of them in in like cinema history. They're it's a it's a legendary auteur trilogy, so I had to check it out at some point. So yeah. Nice. Um <clears throat> I had a very interesting watch of this trilogy. This was also I'm my so first intrigued. time watching it. Um because the first one I had watched the day before I came down with COVID symptoms. And then I had to watch the second two on the day I had full-blown COVID. And um, let me tell you, when I woke up that morning and realized I had COVID and also had to watch the two sequels, (laughs) I was like, just take me now. Um, Listen, (laughs) to your point, Dan, the best way I could say was like, I think Richard Linklater and just this style of indie movie are just a blind spot for me. Like, I, I... Everyone else sees something that I don't. I don't and i'm i'm get that i'm wrong and it's just a style thing but also like i don't care like i just i don't but okay here's what i'll say though to be positive i think you said you didn't hate any of these movies i think i kind of hated the first one um really yes just because of like that's also the one i like the least okay and i have a theory on this i think it's because of the fact that a they're the youngest so they they're the most naive and b it's the one where there's the least amount of structure other than just the conceit of like two people that are just chatting after a train ride or whatever and they just kind of randomly talk about things and i know that was big at the time like richard linklater in the 90s kind of like made his whole career based on this idea of just like capturing real life and it's because of him that this whole style of indie movie even exists like him and kevin smith at the time kevin smith making clerics like are pretty much credited with being the two people that like <clears throat> revolutionized this type of indie movie of just like it's like real life it's just people talking and hanging out and stuff which is its own sort of sub genre that i just have never gotten into personally um and i think a big part of that for me is a lot of those movies to me just feel like the characters are stand in for the writer saying things that come to their mind but like not developing those ideas and that's the biggest problem i had with the first one is it was just this very naive i have an opinion okay now i have an opinion okay cool let's move on to another topic and like to me it's like that's great that you said some ideas that you had and they're interesting ideas but like i kind of need you to build (laughs) on that and like have those ideas be tested in some way and i think that's why these movies each one got like exponentially better for me because the second one I was kind of shocked by how much I, I kind of was like, okay, I had a decent time with it. Um, part of that is probably because it's the shortest, which I think suits this style of movie better. Um, Definitely. But also, I think there was like an inherent built-in structure that the first one didn't have. Because like, inherently, it's like, so it has been 10 years, and we are acknowledging that there's this weird fictional structure around it now, as opposed to just being in like, it's life, whatever, whatever. So I think that little bit of a structure of he did write the book and they are reconnecting whatever really helped me um and then i think the third one i would straight up would say i liked the third one like i no qualifications or whatever was like oh i I just enjoyed the third movie as a movie and to your point dan i almost feel like i wish (laughs) like i wish someone could like re-edit these movies into just like one two and a half hour long movie that's primarily the third movie but then maybe we flashback to scenes from the first two 
because I think the third one in a lot of ways really reminded me of Marriage Story which is another movie that I really yeah, love but I just prefer that and to your point Tara maybe it is just us being our, in our mid-twenties and kind of getting through that young hurdle and being a bit more cynical but like there was there was dramatic stakes from the beginning of that movie by the way like the movie starts and it's like a shot of Ethan Hawke walking with his kid and like just their feet and the shot like pans up and I was like Oh my god, they moved the camera. Like like they they did like a choreographed <laughs> shot. Like this is a real movie now. Um and uh But that wasn't life, baby. It wasn't you life. You see life like that. Nobody sees life like that. Yeah. Um But yeah, life moves the camera for you. But and I I guess <laughs> that's, like that's how it goes. It, that one even though it stayed pretty true to the same conceit of just like these people talking had the most I think visual flair. And I think it was the most structured like a movie and it had the most built-in drama because of the fact that intrinsically it's a sequel of 20 years worth of these characters existing. And so like you can't not have dramatic structure, um, which is what I was lacking. And so I think it's why as these movies go on, I I enjoy them uh, more and more. And then also to my other point about this whole type of genre, like when you get to that third movie, you kind of have no choice but to start answering questions and like rectifying topics that came up originally because of the fact that it's a sequel which again going to my original complaint like you actually have to like test things out you actually have to like put characters in situations where their beliefs are tested you're not just being like here's an idea i had okay like we really build on it um yeah and and you know i will say across the board with all of them like the performances are all they're great. <laughs> Ethan, um, the two the two leads are both great in all the movies, um, and the settings are really beautiful in all the movies. Even though I think the third one had my my favorite cinematography overall, I think the first two were still well put together and well shot. Like all joking aside, it's just very simple, but it's supposed to be simple. I get that. Um, yeah, but I, I do think that like it was like an exponential growth with each movie for me. And when I got to that third one, I was like, I could see myself rewatching the third one. Like, if someone was like, hey, what's this movie about? Like, I could potentially rewatch that one. I could probably even rewatch the second one because it was short, but I don't think I would ever, like, watch the first one again. Um, I had a really difficult time getting getting through that, that first one. It's just not my style whatsoever. Um, and then recommendation-wise, you know, I mean, to piggyback off what you guys have said, uh, like, if you like Richard Linklater, if you like that early 90s, conversational indie drama um with very very low borderline non-existing stakes and it's more just about trying to capture real life instead of dramatize it i mean these movies are for you like the first movie is 100 percent on rotten tomatoes so like i know isn't that insane i was reading that for the research and i was like okay i used to fuck with these movies but first of all how yeah how yeah well remember rotten tomatoes is just 100% 100% of people said it was a good movie. It doesn't mean that it's true. Like, but even still, that seems like that seems kind of shocking. Um yeah. But anyway, well, I mean also didn't like Boyhood also has 100%, which is another <sighs> Richard Linklater. Okay. Real life. That's one movie. thing I want to say. I've never seen that movie. Uh, so the time jumps in this. I was worried when I found out that there was like time jumps, like real life time jumps. I was like for fuck's sake, Richard. Like but it really, I think, serves the movies and makes it better to have those, like, time jumps. I think it's genuinely useful in this, whereas I feel like in Boyhood, it, it was more of a, like, a trope. Not a trope isn't a, 
It was a gimmick. That's the right word. It was more of a gimmick in Boyhood, whereas in this, I feel like it was natural to the storytelling. Well, in this, it also feels like it's just like 10 years later, he decided he wanted to make a sequel rather than basing your story off of the fact that you're going to film for 12 years and that's the only... And that is true. personality the movie has. Every time a sequel was brought up to be made, it was literally just because Richard Linklater and Julie Delpy and Ethan Hawke were just like, hey, it's been a while. Wouldn't it be interesting to revisit these characters? It was never planned. It was just kind of them reaching out to each other and seeing if they were interested. Common theme between all of them is that they all seem to be written within the span of like, a week or two or three just the three of them sitting together and talking and sharing experiences and passing ideas back and forth whether that be in person or via fax or via telephone or whatever um yeah like doing the research it was all like yeah we were just like oh it's been nine years and then oh it's been another nine years Mm -hmm. let's do it why not and even ethan hawk is like no one was asking us to make sequels we just did it because we wanted to and all of these movies were really cheap like i'm pretty sure all of them had budgets around two million or less they were all filmed in like two weeks or less so like i understand why they did it simply because why not you know yeah if it was if it was just going to be the three of them noodling around to write it and then film it and then put it out you know why not well and i also think that's why at least for me like they get so much better with each one is because I think to a certain degree, it's all of them getting older and maybe reflecting on the last thing they made and being like, how can we now address this in a more adult way? And then, yeah, you get to the the last one, the 2013 one, where it's been 20 years. They've all been in, working for 20 years in, in the industry. Um, and yeah, there's so much more depth there, which I think is what we're all latching onto. It's just that by the time you get to the third one, there's like legitimate depth, not like early 20s bullshit pseudo depth um which is because those movies were made when they were all young and these movies are made when they all have like adult experience so yeah see that's why i looked when we were talking about it how old richard linklater would have been when the first one came out and he was like 33 so i don't really know if i can explain it away like that i'm looking to see the co-writer okay she's like basically the same age a year Mm -hmm. younger So they were both like early 30s when they wrote the first one, although Julie Delpy and Ethan Hawke basically rewrote the whole thing because apparently it wasn't romantic, the original script. And my question is, if it wasn't romantic, as we've all acknowledged, that's the only like, quote unquote, plot. What the hell was it? (laughs) (laughs) What was it? (laughs) That makes me think that it was probably more akin to like what the third one ended up being like it was probably more cynical about these people and that but like but like if their connection isn't romantic what's the motivation for her to get off the train with this stranger as a woman in her early 20s and just like spend the whole night talking to him because no offense he's an idiot like Mm -hmm. i hated (laughs) oh i hated both especially watching this in my man hating phase i was like are you fucking kidding me she's still walking around with this guy (laughs) yeah yeah i i um i really by the end of that movie was like can they both die like i that was (laughs) yeah i mean by the end of the trilogy i really didn't like either of them either yeah even especially after the fight in in before yes. midnight because that fight 
like it came out of nowhere like it was the last half of that movie and the so for two and a half movies of this entire trilogy we've just seen them be like sappy romantic couple right and then for the last little bit that fight comes out of nowhere and it felt so like if you think about it again as just one big movie the pacing of that where that fight starts compared to the rest of the runtime of all the other movies it's so insignificant just to be tacked on the end i felt anyway um what i'm saying is i basically wish it started earlier in that movie and most of the rest of that whole last movie was them fighting and reflecting on their entire relationship rather than the first half of the movie just continuing to be them in a happy relationship just older Dan, I'm like it was just, so it sorry like to break it to you, but like there was tension from the beginning of the third movie. Maybe you like didn't notice, but Celine was fully no, like, noticed. no, yeah. a fight was brewing. I could feel it in my bones See, the second they were in that car. So, but it wasn't a fight. Like it was, it was almost like it was too cute. By still. the time she was making remarks at dinner, I was like, oh no, yeah, that's it's going when, down. That dinner scene, I. I straight up despised that. <laughs> like, that was my least favorite scene in all. Of, in no, all come on. It was just in, so in, uncomfortable. Well, okay, sure. It is the most uncomfortable out of all of them. I'll give you that. But at least like something happened. At least uncomfortable things were happening as opposed to nothing. But yeah, yeah. I mean, to your point. Okay, that's fair. But yeah, that's like fair. It. I I don't. I'm with you. Like I think I side more with Carol on this. Like I thought they did a decent enough job of at, at least setting up the tension. And it's not. <clears throat> I get what you're saying that it's like. You have two movies of pure romance and then this one where it's like they hate each other. Um, that pacing of the trilogy is weird. But I feel like intrinsically to just the third movie, which in a lot of ways I'm kind of just viewing the third movie as its own thing. Like, I think they do a decent enough job of, of setting up the tension in a way where it's like, you know that they've had this fight before like these that these types of fights have happened before and then even with the level of comfort when you get to that third fight and like the level of comfort they have fighting it felt like two people that had argued a lot before well especially she's just doing it tits out like i know yeah that was also really surprising to me that i don't know where we started getting nudity but whatever i mean yeah that's fine um but but i think and to be fair i think that's an intentional choice on their part again to try and get across this idea that like they've had this fight before they've been together for 10 years they're comfortable with each other like this is this is this is them just good doing the rounds the way that they have been uh, it, it's been a long time coming but this was like the, this the last fight in the movie was like divorce worthy fighting yes like they were yeah. very i feel like that one was more than just like like a marriage fight that was like you could break up over the fight 100% like and i i had read it as more like this is the culmination of what was a lot of bickering and it starts off as more bickering and then leads into a very fucked up <laughs> they're saying really hurtful things fight um but to your point the pacing of the first two movies and this was not planned as a trilogy so like i mean they were it, you, you never could have paced that properly but that's almost why I, I feel like there's an edit of this that's just the third movie that intercuts flashbacks from the first two that would work a lot better and you just play up like you just you just jump into this relationship where you can tell things are tense and you don't really know what's going on and you just get these moments of flashbacks of like i mean i want to say godfather 2 but i know neither of you have seen godfather 2 but that movie does a similar thing structure wise but regardless like cutting back 
to their more romantic times to like emphasize points but then having it be pretty clear that like they are not in a good place but yeah like coming from where things were left on the second movie and jumping right into the third one i think it is asking a lot to be like now just imagine 10 years of a bad relationship and like i i do think that because this movie was literally released 10 years later there's been so much time since the second one that maybe it in that sense it makes it a little bit easier but i think i I just i enjoyed the third movie so much more that i was willing to kind of be like eh fuck everything else i'm just gonna treat this as its own canon like this is just its own thing and i'll just fill in the gaps as i need to um yeah but i do appreciate and then again this goes to the filmmaking where like they really were actually making a movie with this third one they weren't just (laughs) fucking around taking a vacation and talking in the streets like the level of detail they had like when they're having the fight at the apartment and even there's like the shot of him sitting on the couch and she goes to make tea and she makes tea and leave it on the table and like how that is very much an inverse of at the end of the second movie when they get to her apartment and he's sitting on the couch and she makes him tea and it's like this is like the beginning of like oh we are gonna be together we're gonna make this happen and this is the inverse of that i was like that's a nice little visual detail that you like actually paid attention to and then even just the fact that that (coughs) apartment was very like cold and unwelcoming as opposed to her apartment in the first movie so like those little visual details and stuff i was like okay you're doing something you know like this one that i think that's why the third one was like such a big jump for me in terms of quality um i will say i think if you because just speaking specifically to the it's kind of weird that there were two romantic movies and then like the a big fight at the end of the third I will say that given that these movies happened in real time and the first one was them meeting, there was a lot of just like bickering because they had, you know, different ideals in some senses. Um, And then because in the second one they hadn't seen each other for nine whole years, it kind of, there wasn't really a reason or even a relationship to cause fighting. And so I think in those ways, like, those movies were able to stay romantic because they benefited from the huge expanses of time and them just fully not seeing each other and really not knowing each other, honestly. Um, And yeah, so that's why they could only fight 20 years later, because that was the only time that they were able to actually spend that full chunk of time that we weren't with them together and building and getting to know each other. And it was speaking... Um, I, speaking of like the movies being well thought out I will say that in the very first movie I think he was like oh I hate relationships because eventually like it always ends when the girl's like oh what do you hate about me and then you say it and eventually it leads to a breakup I do think that kind of happening in the third movie was felt rewarding because it, it did like it did deal with the he was saying the cyclical nature of all relationships no matter how in love you think you are or aren't or whatever happens in between and i did really like that yeah i mean i think the third movie does a good job of tying it together as a trilogy in a way that it was never conceived (laughs) like paying off a lot of those elements both visually and story-wise and feeling like oh this is a nice ending and also by the way like what would happen with two idiots like this like that was the other thing was i was so appreciative of the fact that the whole third movie was kind of like fuck you for thinking the first movie was romantic these people are dumb like i was like oh okay like that 
felt Okay, nice. I don't think Selena's dumb. You don't think she's dumb? No. Okay, but, like, the relationship is dumb. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, like, the relationship, sure. them together, is well, dumb. Well, it's just because the relationship is built off of this one single night that they yeah. spent together. yeah. When they, when they and also, kids. they don't communicate, like, whatsoever. They they literally yeah. are, just are incapable of communicating in any reasonable, normal, healthy way. And so it's, like, literally, even as far... Yeah, I mean, whatever. We don't have to get into it. But, like, I don't want to sit here and be a fucking couples counselor for them. Like, but the point <laughs> is, they are a terrible couple. They were doomed. This relationship was never going to work. So I'm glad that was the payoff that we got. Because... It would have felt weird if it was like a third movie and they were still in love and everything was happy and then it ended. You know what I will say, obviously like I came to this trilogy once it was known to be a trilogy because you know we're all pretty young. Um <laughs> uh, so I will say Yeah, I mean we're about the age that they were ex- yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. So I will say I was like surprised that they were I wanted to continue it as a trilogy in which they actually were together because I like as much as romantic me would have loved the idea of you know them meeting up in six months and falling in love etc etc obviously that wouldn't happen and even just like I do agree that they had chemistry but like I don't think like either of them could say they were in love with each other after that one night like they argued about so much and like like sure they like had sex and kissed a few times but it like didn't even seem that like natural like they were both like awkward children and like that's fine obviously there's nothing wrong with that that's like how most relationships start and I think that's totally okay but I think something I always get stuck on is how they reference in every subsequent movie like we fell in love that day we fell in love it's the beginning of our grand romance and that's like one thing that always is like I don't see that. I don't know how anyone sees that and agrees with it. And I think the cynical grown-up versions of them we see in the third movie, I would expect them to be acknowledging that. And they didn't really. Like, even Ethan Hawke kind of says the opposite. He's like, no, this is true love, whether you like it or not. Ha ha. Well, so but I think a, that surprised me. I think a lot of the themes of the third movie is just that, like, true love is bullshit. Like, at that dinner scene, which is very... <laughs> uncomfortable but one of the one of the parts of that dinner scene that i really appreciated was the conversations that they were all having about like what love even is and how like the idea of love is like awful because like (laughs) it it like sets you up for failure in a way where like what you should be focused on is like having a fulfilling life and being with someone else that has a fulfilling life and if you're both fulfilled then you'll have a good life together but like yeah like the this whole third movie seems like a critique on love but also in a way where in something else i appreciated from the dinner scene that like everyone else got it except um like the two protagonists like they are that's what i mean about like them their relationship being dumb is that like they're still stuck in this mindset of like what true love is and when everyone else is talking about their experience with love and how healthy their relationships are and it's like they can't relate to that like whatsoever because they're fucking they're still like 20 year old children that are like but we love each other and it's like you guys have completely different lives and like ideals and like you're doing the exact opposite of what all these other people in healthy relationships are telling you to do which is like be your own person first so i i don't i don't know if them not i think them not cluing in on it and him even at the end being like but i love you and we love each other it's more meant to be like a commentary on 
like that type of person in a very cynical way like that is a very cynical point of view for the movie to take but like i i think that's the point and also and carol you may have a fact on this but i think part of the reason the third movie is as cynical as it is um is because i believe at least one if not a couple of the people involved had like gone through a divorce or something prior to making it well, Ethan Hawke had gone through a divorce prior to making the second movie. Mm, interesting. He divorced Uma Therma. Uma Therma? Uma Thurman. Uma Thermos? Um, they divorced because of infidelity issues. Um, and he had just had, or they had just had Maya Hawke together. Nice. The famous Maya Hawke. Stranger Things. Yeah, yes. Stranger Things season three? Season two? No, season three fame. Whatever the newest one is. The one with the mall. mall. She was also in a new movie with Andrew Garfield, Mainstream, and she does music. She does it all. Wasn't she in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yes. I I don't really remember much of that movie, if I'm being honest. I also don't. (laughs) I don't remember either, but I just remember because, like, Uma Thurman obviously did so much stuff with Quentin Tarantino, and so I Mm. I vaguely remember, like, oh, like her daughter now is in the movie as well and i was like okay Mm. but like doesn't she hate him didn't she like come out and be like he abused me why would she be okay with her daughter being in his movie i don't know that's kind of weird i don't know but i I just yeah whatever yeah but so did richard linklater then maybe have a divorce but before this third movie or am i just that i don't know okay i didn't really look into richard linklater that much i can't say anyone's names today (laughs) good old question yeah why is the last one called before? Okay, Dan, this is a this is literally <laughs> in a movie that I ultimately I think liked. The part that just stuck with me the most was that before sunrise is the plot device of that movie that they only before yeah, sunset is sense. the plot device of that movie. He's got to get on a train before midnight means nothing. I I'm not really sure because nothing's <laughs> happening at midnight. Like no, yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up. I thought I had the same thought. Yeah, I just wanted to see if I missed something. No, you didn't miss anything. It was kind of the idea of, like, it being, you know, before the night of their hotel room ended. But they just needed a before something, to be honest. And, like, what's left, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, I think the second one... The second movie might have been my favorite because that was the only one to take place pretty much in real time. I kind of wish like they the did fact- all of them like yeah, that. Yeah, me too. That would have been cool. Like, I like that because the second one was the shortest, it was like an hour mm-hmm. 20, they got away with being able to like j- literally just track these people for an hour and 20 minutes yeah. of that evening. Yeah. It was nice. It was just an hour, it was just a like, nice little hour long stroll through, through Paris. It, it made their conversation more bearable, I agree. I think, rather than just watching, like in the first movie, watching them have an entire just conversation over the course of a night. Yeah, yeah. I, I will say, and I, this is, like the first movie very much, I, again, like had those vibes of just train of consciousness, whatever Richard Linklater thought of, and then whatever ultimately the actors thought of, just vague whatever, whereas... The second movie, I think part of it being in real time, but also because it was a reconnection, it felt very reminiscent to me of just, like, people that know each other catching up and, like, the way that type of conversation can spiral. Like, it felt, it felt, I think, the naturalistic way that the first one was supposed to feel, but the first one actually, to me, felt very stilted because of 
how ridiculous <laughs> it all sort of was. Whereas the second one, I was like, sure, yeah, these two people that haven't seen each other and they're grabbing a coffee and hanging out, whatever. Like, yeah, you would just talk about all these vague random things and catch up, and that, that makes sense to me. I agree. Also, sorry, yeah. I just Googled, um, Linklater has been partnered with the same person since the 1990s. I don't think they are married, but they have children together. Okay. So, no. Interesting. <laughs> the answer to your question. Interesting. So Linklater has figured out the perfect situation of true yeah. love. So it's not a myth, apparently. I guess. Yeah. I mean, we don't know if he's happy. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you saw what he wrote in the last movie. It's got to come from yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, but just from what you're saying, Marco, I agree. Like, the the context for their conversation in Before Sunset makes a lot more sense rather than just two people who are, like, awkwardly meeting, so they're just trying to make conversation conversation on random topics that they feel strongly mm-hmm. about. Um, and like you also said in your intro blurb, Marco, uh, or not your intro, but like what your thoughts on the the movies were in that first movie, like there's a lot of concepts that they talk about that I agree with. It just doesn't like they don't meld together into this movie. They don't feel like they fit. And even the last movie did that a little bit for me, like at the dinner in the dinner scene when they're talking about AI for 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And that came out of absolutely nowhere and had no Not just AI, AI purpose. sex. <laughs> okay, but it felt so disconnected from anything else in, in any of these movies. That really stood out to yeah. me. It wasn't as bad as, as like that type of stuff in the first movie. But um, yeah, I'll agree. It, it did feel like good ideas that the writers just wanted to get out but didn't really have the... Like they didn't set it up for it to uh, to fit in the scene. It's just kind of they used the scene to get these ideas out. Yeah, and it just felt a little bit incomplete. Yeah, I mean that's always the tough thing, right? It's like it's all fine and dandy, like you said. There's a lot of interesting ideas there, but unless you're having a character have to like deal with that idea in some way, um, then it's just an it's just exposition at that point. Like you've just said something. But it doesn't mean anything, and also it doesn't really inform the characters, because the characters then don't do anything by which you'd be like, oh, like, I see, they said that, and they're acting this way, like, that really informs their choices. No, because the whole movie is just them saying things. So, like, and and it, it, yeah, that doesn't really pay off in any way. Also, because you were talking about the AI thing, there are, in each one of these movies, scenes that are very clearly Richard Linklater just talking to the audience about his style of like filmmaking and they really <laughs> abhorrently piss me off and that ai one is one of them but like in before sunrise yes the first one um there's that scene on the train when he's pitching her the idea of like 24 hours in like everyone's life whatever and i was like yeah. shut up i was like dude like that's just that's boyhood just... <laughs> that was a total boyhood i fucking hate that in the second one you wouldn't watch that marker <coughs> COVID's taking me. A 24-hour stream no. of, of a random No, I wouldn't. Life. I mean, you wouldn't watch the whole thing, but, you know, I would tune in every so often. Actually, no, that's a lie. There's, like, HBO shows I'd rather be watching. Correct. Um, and uh, <laughs> and then in the second one... You wow, also have to sad. watch Lost for oh, the true, show, true. eventually. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It sounded so disgusting. Yeah. 
Yeah, but that... we just have a long list. It's more stress than disgust. I, know, I, I know. promise. I'm very much looking forward. We to all it. we all have very long lists of things that we'll never get to. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's life. There's like four things. That's, that's life. life, baby. That's the theme of this. I should film myself looking at the list that I'm never gonna get to, and that'll be a movie because that's life, right? It's just for 24, for 24 hours. hours. Um, no, but then in the second movie, they have the scene where like he's being interviewed about his book. And they're like, so, like, what happens? Do you think they get together? And he's like, well, I don't really like to answer those kinds of questions and, like, put that perspective on people, whatever. And I was like, okay, again, like, this is just you using this character to get out your thoughts of what I'm sure people asked you after the first movie. Blah. Like, I'm so sick of that. And then that AI thing in the third movie where they're talking about, like, like, could an AI ever, like, write a story? And then, like, there's that whole conversation they have about like well we always thought that like they couldn't beat us at chess but then they could beat us at chess and like that very much to me was him being like this is why i tell stories about the human experience because like only humans could capture the human experience like that's to me why that scene is there it's just richard linklater giving a big middle finger to everyone and like justifying the existence of these movies basically is him being like it's not just like manufacture this is like art in its purest form because it captures the human experience which i completely fucking disagree with but whatever dicky whatever suit floats your boat dicky link later in your fucking weird time jump movies about people just talking and do you shit. think anyone calls him dicky i'm gonna call him dink dicky from now on <laughs> <clears throat> okay sorry two things mm. one Julie Delpy did end a pretty long relationship before the release of the third film. Okay, maybe that's what it was then. Um, so, correct there. Someone had and to be really cynical on that production, because that third film was very yeah. cynical. Well, I'm sure Ethan Hawke just is in general. Sure. I don't know. He strikes well, me also, that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Isn't that the only one that, like, all three of them, like Richard Linklater, Julie Delpy, and Ethan Hawke, actually co-wrote together they wrote all of them together but like they didn't get credited for the first one and but they did get credited for the second and third but all of them they wrote very 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 significant chunks of the dialogue okay (laughs) yeah i guess i didn't notice it in the credits until the last movie i guess yeah that the three of them were the writer's credits julie delpy when asked about it in like more recent interviews is like pretty mad that her and Ethan didn't get credited on the first film because she was like, we had to rewrite the whole thing, but whatever. Yeah. None of my business. Yeah. Well, that's all right. It worked out for them. Okay. And then I was going to say, just in general, I'm kind of surprised at, like, how many thoughts these movies have inspired in me. It's so rare on this Mm. podcast for me to have this many thoughts. Um, Okay, so it's... I find it very fascinating, and this is really just a self-examination of my own psyche. I, like... (laughs) All of the parts of these movies in theory. Okay. I love, like, even thinking about it, I love the idea of, like, this couple meeting on the train. I love the idea of them having this argument about the palm reader. I love the encounter with this poet guy. I love, I love the idea of just observing life and putting that into a movie even the idea of like oh my god a stream of like watching people all the time like like i said in theory i do like that idea because i am fascinated by you know just how everyone lives their lives and how that impacts who they become to be and what they think and what they do but even as i said i'd rather watch you know anything else rather than that and i do think it's important even just like to be able to empathize with everyone to like know everyone's stories by like you know listening to them and learning about their experiences 
But yeah, I don't know what the disconnect is there because I like it all in theory. But then when I see it, I'm like, this is dumb. I'd rather watch anything else. Well, I can't be here for it. I have a theory on why this is. <laughs> if you would like to hear my theory on your theory. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. You mean my hypothesis, hypothesis, I guess. We'll have to on we'll have theory. to fucking see if we can prove it using experimentation and write a lab report on our methods, Stop. but um here's my problem, okay? What I think why these movies sound conceptually cool why boyhood sounds conceptually cool why the idea of just like capturing life sounds conceptually cool but never really works the way it's supposed to is because unfortunately nothing in life ever happens in (coughs) periods of time that are like perceivable as a dramatic change if that makes sense so like yeah, like, people change, and, like, people have opinions on things, but those things are very, very gradual, and most of it's very internalized. So, like, like my opinions on a topic have really never, ever changed in the middle of a conversation. It's changed by me, like, thinking about that over long periods of time and eventually going, all right, yeah, I guess this is now where I stand on this. And, like, that is not only long form, but it's incredibly personal. And I think that's why I take such issue with this and why... I think I really gravitate towards high concept stuff is because high concept stuff, the fun thing with that is you are creating a context by which to explore these ideas because you're forcing people to have outward and dramatic changes in their thoughts. So like, mm. I think that's why, for example, a, a trilogy that you did not vibe with that much, Carol, the Planet of the Apes trilogy, and like, I remember, like, when we talked about it, the line that, like, I laughed so hard at because it was so funny is, like, in when we were talking about the second one, and Dan and I were, like, waxing poetic about the fucking Shakespearean drama of it all, and you were like, yeah, but why does it have to be apes? And, like, that line, <laughs> like, I, I was very funny. We, sh- we need to clip that and put that in our new intro for, <laughs> for year two. Um, but what I would say is... I think these movies are examples of why those movies needed to be apes. Because, like, at a certain mm. point you kind of need a, a high concept thing to latch onto by which to explore the human condition because if you're just watching humans be humans it's pretty inherently boring like 99.9% of the time unless it's like really horrific shit that you would probably not want to watch anyway because like then that would just be horrific and scarring and so the problem with this is like that's great that we're exploring these two people talking but in a way <laughs> it actually does fulfill its premise because like these people just kind of talk at each other a lot which like is how a lot of people communicate and then like in between the movies we have to assume that they internalized and changed their thoughts or whatever but that's not like dramatic fiction so it's not engaging to watch because like there's nothing about the human experience that is dramatically engaging (laughs) like it's all very slow and it's all very internalized i'll attest to that i think i think after watching these i'm officially over protagonists that are just like just realistic human beings like if you're making a fictional story obviously i get it for like a documentary that's supposed to be that is supposed to be real like these this material feels like it should fit more into a documentary but if you're making a fictional movie like go all out and make a super fictional interesting character like you have that license because none of this is real you can make 
like a person that fits your story ideally rather than trying to write a story around a real life or a realistic seeming figure like fit fit your uh your character for the type of story that you want to tell rather than uh fitting a story around just like a person that has to be able to exist in real life um it feels like you're just limiting yourself at this point so the just one quick thing carol and then you can jump right in but the documentary thing i think is such a great point dan because if you think about a documentary what is the biggest format thing that a documentary has is it has constant context you are constantly being reminded by other observers of the situation by experts in the field whatever everyone is constantly providing you with new context and when it's well edited that context allows you to understand the changes that are happening in the real world story because if you just took a bunch of footage from the real world and clipped it all together you'd be like okay these events happened but it's that context that the experts and the eyewitnesses and whatever that they provide that makes the documentary compelling like i think about like that don't don't fuck with cats thing on netflix (laughs) that i think we've all seen and all really enjoyed yeah like if that was just like security cam footage and shots of like conversations on a laptop like we'd all just be like all right but like it's it's the stories of all the people and what they went through like that is what gives it its its life and energy and i think that's 100 percent the biggest failing of trying to make a dramatic movie that is structured to feel like real life is you're completely stripping away context like literally even having voiceover narration like goodfellas style would have like improved everything by like a thousand percent i feel like to really like to have them say one thing and think another or whatever just just something something other than just saying stuff okay what i did want to say was going off dan's point in that if you're making a fiction you should make some part of it you know like make it necessary for it to be fiction make something a little bit crazy and i will say a recent film that i will continue to tell you guys to watch until you do is everything everywhere all at once (laughs) and it did that perfectly yeah yeah, we have to it like the thing is it's really just about the relationship between a mother and daughter honestly just all family generational relationships that's it but the setting and the storytelling was set obviously i'm sure everyone knows enough about it and hears about it all the time but i'm just saying if you haven't seen it you have to see it i'm so sorry i won't shut up about it until i die but that was the perfect use of a crazy world to tell a simple in theory story yeah well i mean think about even interstellar like interstellar is literally just about a dad that has to go away for work like at its core (laughs) interstellar is a dad that had to travel for work that's what that movie is it's a work trip trip. like (laughs) the 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 motivations and the emotion behind it can be very simple but yeah i think you need those dramatic stakes to feel anything um otherwise it's it's just lacking yeah like if you just all this to say if you're writing fiction write fiction like don't confuse fiction and nonfiction. sure and also like just like there are whole subsets of visual artists who try to draw and paint photoreal like that's their whole thing it's like you'll see my art and won't be able to tell if it's a picture or a painting like that's cool that you could 
but what's that, the point? I know, that's it the thing. reminds me of, uh, I'm thinking of ending things. Exactly. <laughs> and the conversation they have in that. Yeah, the, <laughs> the one nugget of information that's useful and, in that movie. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and there are, there are, for whatever reason, subsets of people that are into that art, both in visual art or even in film. I mean, in the 90s, sure. this was a big revolution of, like, this, this subgenre of film, and I don't, personally, I don't get it. I don't see what the point of that is. If you're going to make a piece of art, make a piece of art. Like, if I wanted to see a photograph, I would see a photograph. If I wanted to see two awkward 20-somethings talk, I would just go somewhere and hear two awkward 20-somethings talk. I would go sit in the mall and eavesdrop. Like, there's no... <laughs> That's my take on all this, which is why I'm so hard on these types of movies. Um, and for some people, yeah. they live or die by these movies. Like, and, I mean, God bless, like... Do you, if this is what you're into, this is what you're into, I just, I don't, I don't see the appeal of it. Like, I feel like you better tackle the human condition in high concept stuff than you do in just this. But, hey, whatever. To each their own. I don't know. Well, another, another more recent and more, like, simplistic example of that is there was a, like, a promo shot or something for the new upcoming Avatar yeah. movie. <laughs> Stop. Okay. And it was no, no. This it's pertinent. I okay. promise. Um, it was like a shot of one of the what? What the fuck are the animals? The Navi. I don't even remember. Whatever. It's been so long. Oh, the good Navi. job, Marco. Yeah, really good job. It was a shot of some of a Navi's like hands in water. Okay, and it was just the hands in the water, and and people are freaking out on Twitter because it's a hundred percent CG. Apparently, like assuming that it is right. But I was like. But what even is the point of that? It's a shot of someone's hands that looks so realistic you can't even tell they're CG. Why not just paint someone's hands blue? Save thousands of like hours of CGI rendering for this one shot if you can't even tell the difference anyway. Like, what is the point of wasting all that time, work, it's and money? It's a tech demo. I mean, it's literally <laughs> just a tech That's demo. That's all. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. Okay, but back to the photorealism discussion. If someone is talented enough to, like, paint something looking photorealistic, is that not cool and it's impressive? Talent. It's certainly yeah. It's not that it's not. Like, I don't really want to look at it. Yes, like, I don't really care to do more... that. But it's just, like, that's so cool that people are talented enough to do that. So, like, it still it is. should exist in its own right. Sure. You know? I think all we're saying is it's a much more complex way of arriving at yes. the exact yeah, same yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Point. As a different yeah. method. <laughs> I mean, like, it all different styles of art should get to exist. But like Yeah. And like your example, like someone painting for real photorealistic, sure. But like the Avatar example, that is just an example of people like laboring over the CGI for yeah. what reason? And like thousands or possibly millions of dollars spent for what reason when you could have just done it practically. That's that's the stuff I don't get. Like, if you're talking about people who love to paint photorealistically, sure, like, I'm not going to shit on that. And it looks great. It's it's absolutely art and talent. Um, but there's different situations. Yeah. and It's know. all about purpose. Like, what's your, <coughs> what's your purpose in your style of art? And as long as you have a purpose in what you're doing with your style of art, cool. But, yeah, I don't... Yeah, whatever. Well, I'll leave it there. I'll leave it there. Sorry, we were just talking about it, and I kind of was curious to know how much money has been spent on making all the avatars so far. Oh my god. A the, lot. You sure you want to know? 
The combined budget of the first film and its four sequels estimated at one billion dollars. That's less than I thought. <laughs> it's still. A billion I mean, it's a dollars, lot. A hundred million. Wait, what? A hundred million? Wait, no, a thousand that? million. That's a billion, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know my numbers. A thousand yeah. millions is a billion. Yeah. Like in theory, I have a science degree, but I'm I'm an artist at heart. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a thousand million. Oh, that's, that's so many dollars. <laughs> to be fair, Infinity War and Endgame had a combined budget of like five hundred million, and that was two movies. So like four movies True. having double the budget, like that math adds up. But it is still like a ridiculous amount of money. Like at the end of the day. Yeah, but Infinity War and Endgame were like movies that people. Oh, were and they for. also had like <laughs> some of like the biggest movie stars on the planet, like all of them. True. A lot of that probably went to the yeah, the actors, absolutely, yeah. and the promotional material. Like we've barely gotten anything over the past thirteen. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I just brought it up for that one photorealistic example. That's it's it. the year of redemption, Dan. What if it's a good movie? <laughs> like it probably will be fine. <laughs> just like the first movie mm-hmm. is fine. Mm-hmm. But, but why? Yeah. So it's been an hour. Do we have anything left to say? I mean, we. I. Sorry. I was just going to say, like, we should probably end this by ranking the movies, but. Absolutely. And I also do yeah, have. I would be interested. You know, fun facts for all of them. Okay. I. Well, now that we've brought it up, I, I'm too curious. I have to hear what your you guys' rankings are. Can we do that? <laughs> you want to yeah, do that absolutely. first? Sure. Ooh, and then I also have a question to ask okay. after as well. Perfect. Okay. Carol, go first. So, for me, I think. Oh, God. You'd think I would have thought about this, huh? Um, oh, gosh darn. I think, actually, even though I think Before Midnight, I agree, is the most watchable, I still think it's my least favorite. Maybe the optimist in me is fighting the cynic in me, and that's why. But, yeah, I think, for me, Before Midnight is third. Before Sunset is probably first, and then Before Sunrise is right in the middle. And I think that is simply because of, like, how I think of them, as opposed to, what do I want to watch? Okay. Okay. I'll stem off of that. I'll, I'll agree that Before Midnight has the most, like, real plot of all of these. But it's actually not my number one either. It's I'd probably go before sunset number one, before midnight number two, and then before uh, sunrise last. Nice. So um yeah, I alluded to it. These movies each get exponentially better for me. So it goes before midnight, before sunset, <clears throat> and then before sunrise. I just I do just want to add. All of ours are different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Look at us. I do just want to add though that as much as before midnight is the most cynical of all these movies. I also think it's the only one that even remotely captures what I... Like, these these whole movies are about, like, the realism and, like, life. And, like, before Midnight is the only one where I was like, this feels to me like what two people who have been together with ten years would argue like. As opposed to the first two, where as much as they were about real life, it was so abhorrently dumb that I was kind of like, no one would ever do this, but... In the third one, when they were, like, that weird tension between them in the car ride, 
the miscommunication, the weird tension at dinner, that which leads into the fight. I was like, yeah, like this all this all tracks for me. And even though it's the most dramatic structure wise, even though it's the most dramatic filmmaking wise, ironically, I think it's the one that captures life the best. Which Richard Linklater, take a lesson from that, buddy. <laughs> I will say the one thing about this whole like just capturing life is that I don't really believe that they're both just doing so well, even like career-wise, you know what I mean? Sure. Like, how is this guy getting invited to this grand villa in Greece by this other pretentious author I was dude? Questioning that like a bit too. Come on. And they really like his books. They're probably but shitty also, books. Who, who are the rest of the people? How did they know them? I don't know. One was a grandson. That's all I got. It doesn't matter. Yeah. None of it matters. Yeah, it doesn't matter. That's not the point. None of it it's matters. not about them, Dan. None of, literally none of it matters. <laughs> I was just, I was curious as to who all these people around the dinner table were acting like family. The old guy was an author. That's all I got. Yeah. And that's it. Yep. Okay. So before I get into fun facts then, because the whole point almost of the first movie was for it to be act as a test essentially of do you think they're going to meet up in six months to see if you're a romantic or a cynic so now i ask of you do you think they divorce or stay together after the third movie sure it all ends and it seems like it'll be fine but you never know what do you think okay that's a good question yeah it's it's also interesting because I guess each movie has a little bit of ambiguity mm-hmm. after its ending mm-hmm. before you see the next movie and know what ends up happening, obviously. Like the first one, you can only guess if they meet up again after six I months. I think I would have gone crazy if I couldn't again. watch them all. Like if I if I knew other movies were going to exist and I couldn't just watch them to get the answers. Right. Like I, I kind of hate when I have to like, what do you think happened? Yeah. I don't know. You tell me. You fucking wrote it. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. I am the same way. Yeah. But I like how they address yeah. that in the next movie with like the context of it being the yes, book. Yeah, yeah. And people are asking him probably the question that was asked to Richard yeah. Linklater. Yeah. After yeah. the first. But movie. also, like, yeah, that's the point. You, the author, what, what in your head canon you have to tell me. <laughs> Like, what do you I hate when they're like, it doesn't matter what I think. It's like, yes, it does. You wrote the characters. They are essentially you. (laughs) Yeah, well, we also talked about this on the uh, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, where as long as there is an answer, then you can leave it ambiguous. But you can't if there isn't an answer. Okay, but also, like, Uh, I want to push further and say, sure, do it if there is an answer, but also tell me your answer. Yeah. Don't be like, there's yeah, an well, answer, that's, but that's it's for saying. me to know and you to find out. Like, no. They go yeah, hand yeah, in yeah. hand. Because if if you can give an answer, yeah. then there is an answer. But, like, you can choose to then leave it ambiguous. Sure. It's like, if you can, then you, you get the green light to be like, you get the green light to, like, fuck with the audience a little bit and be like, uh, it's, there's an answer, sure. but I'm not going to tell yeah. you. Um, so that was cool. Um, but to answer the original question of after Before Midnight... I think I was under the impression that they do stay together just because of how it ends. I can't see... And and they made up very quickly. After a fight and, that bad. <laughs> yes. But just because of, like, based off the last shot and, like, the last conversation that they have, I'm going to guess 
we're supposed to believe that they they stay together yeah i agree that they stay together but <clears throat> again with the with the cynical lens of the movie i think them staying together is a bad thing like i think we're supposed to want them to break up i think we're supposed to realize they're on different trajectories but i think the whole theme of the movie is like that they are dumb romantics and like it's actively making their life worse and maybe that's just me projecting how much i hated the first movie onto it but like i think there is enough in the text of the third movie that i think the the point of it is they're just gonna do whatever they need to do to stay together because they believe in this bullshit idea of true love that as everyone else who we don't know who they are but (laughs) they were at the dinner whatever as they all said um that's bullshit and these two are kind of like just can't they they don't process that so like they should break up like they are not meant to be together but like i think the point of the movie in that last just pray that, on their no yeah but i think that last scene of her like doing that funny character that she did earlier to be like well this is what you want isn't it and like him playing along and all that like i think i think that's the the movie is like trying to show us the perspective of even though they should they won't because they're like clinging to something that is bullshit is my my take on it so i do agree they stay together but their lives are worse because of it like if they ever made another movie they would probably be serial killers what would the what would the next movie be called i was thinking about that like if they made another one before twilight Twilight. (laughs) but then people would think it was a prequel to twilight (laughs) i would be okay with actually isn't twilight isn't twilight and midnight the same thing it's not yes i don't know i don't I don't know. Hold on. Before I give Before my answer, Dawn. I'm gonna Google. But now we're just breaking way Dawn. Too close into the, the <laughs> yeah. Twilight titles. What what could it be? What other time have they not done? Before noon. Before. <laughs> it's just a breakfast date. Before dinner. <laughs> Before supper. Because <laughs> yeah. they're really old. Yeah, they'll call it mm. supper. Because that's what old people call it. Before death. <laughs> Okay, Twilight is just the soft light in the sky seen before the rising and especially after the setting of the sun occasioned by the illumination of the Earth's atmosphere by the direct rays of the sun and their reflection on the Earth. But midnight is just the middle of the night. So, no, not the same. Okay. Okay, so that's on the table. Yeah. They should name it after something. Switch it up. Because the reboot has to be like... (laughs) The reboot... (laughs) A different it's got to be more retrospective well right? actually they can't do it because if they're continuing with the nine years later that would be 2022 because last one came out in 2013 so it could be, it could be unless uh, they made a secret years. movie that we don't know about that they're about to they did out. try to make just kind of shortly delving into my fun fact they tried to make before midnight a secret hmm because initially Ethan Hawke was like, yeah, it's happening this summer. And then Julie Delpy was like, no, it's not. And then people saw them filming in Greece and they were like, yes, <laughs> yes it, it is. is. <laughs> she was like the Andrew yeah. Garfield. And, yeah. And he was like the Tom Holland. Yeah, Holland-ed. absolutely. Um, but anyway, I didn't give my thoughts about whether I think they stayed yes, together or not. please do. Um, I am on a very similar thinking on a similar thinking whatever you get it as both of you in that i think they do probably stay together but shouldn't and because i i didn't mention this before but i uh, i do very much relate to celine and a lot of her ways of thinking um in like i don't know just 
on a surface level of we're both environmentalists or even we're both, you know, attempting to be feminists and don't want our lives to revolve around men and et cetera, et cetera. But I do kind of hope that maybe she does reach a breaking point after he does bring up his son thing again and is like, you know what, fuck you, I'm just going to live my life, you live yours. Like, I know, like, realistically, where we left off, that probably won't happen. But if she's already saying she's falling out of love with him on this one day, I can't imagine that's the last time she says something like that or it's the worst thing she says. So I do think that eventually it might escalate more to the point where you know maybe he does realize he shouldn't be treated this way or that she is like you know what actually i'd rather leave you than continue to hurt you this much yeah but i mean probably wouldn't but it'd be cute if it did yeah happen (laughs) (laughs) i also think i just go ahead with your thoughts i was just gonna say because we talked about we've kind of joked about (laughs) like how quickly they make up at the end of the movie or like seemingly make up anyway like we're fine we're not arguing anymore um that was also something else along with the tension that they had sort of at the beginning where that ending and seeing how quickly they were just kind of like whatever we're moving past this was another thing for me where i was like they've this is like an ongoing thing like they're so used to having these big brawling arguments that like they're able to kind of resolve it and even though she's french of course of course yeah (laughs) sure that was another yeah um yeah i just this movie just made me want to watch marriage story like i might just watch marriage story tonight because like it's kind of just marriage story light um so i kind of just want to watch marriage story because marriage story is fucking phenomenal so I was going to say... Well, it's because... Okay, no. You go, Dan. I'm just going to jump in a fun fact so everyone get your thoughts out before I go there. (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) Yeah. Another reason the last one reminded me of Marriage Story a lot is because the the kids were mistakes, which is just like a marriage story. But I I just feel like Marriage Story was executed better. It's it's pretty much the same concept, but just it's all execution. Marriage Story is built around that sort of arc. And then when you get that final argument... It is so natural in in the like the stakes of the movie. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I guess that's another thing is Marriage Story. The whole movie is yeah. about fighting, whereas like that big fight really only comes yeah. out at the end, yeah. and it feels yeah. kind of late. Okay. So now, fun fact: I will say um, that this movie was inspired by a woman that Richard Linklater met at a toy store in oh god where was it what was he doing at a toy store i don't know that's it didn't say (laughs) that's that's kind of gross i know met in a toy shop in philadelphia in 1989 they walked around the city together conversing deep into the night so that was one inspiration but secondly um because he knew most of the movie was just going to be a discussion between a man and a woman. He's like, I couldn't possibly write like a woman, which like, I mean, Loki, as much as I don't think I like Richard Linklater, I don't know much about him, but just like, I agree. Vibes the vibes are off. off. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. So I don't think I like him. Um, but the one thing I will give him props for is that he didn't try to w- write for the woman and instead invited a woman in to write the woman's perspective that is like actually a very good thing for him yeah. to do um he also has a weird haircut yeah he like kind of i mean i don't want to like judge people just based on their looks because like we're over that it's 2022 but like 
looks a lot. I mean, some people like... can be jealous. <laughs> <of their> looks. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. It's just the haircut. Like that's all. I'm, that's all. I'm yeah. Um, so Kim Krasan, the um, co-writer of the first film, her inspiration was that she rode around Europe. Um, much like Jesse, on trains meeting people, and on one trip met a Norwegian man on the way to Paris, and they also ended up walking around the city all night. So you know what? I guess people do meet up in the 80s and 90s and walk around cities all night together. Never happened to me, but if it happened to both of them, I believe it. To be fair, that part, especially in Europe, I buy. Sure. Because, like, in Europe, like, very much it is, like, more comfortable, everyone's out partying at night vibes. Like, I, I see that. It's more just, like, does that warrant a movie as opposed to like like i and also like an american man being like hey french woman come get off this train with me like that also feels kind of weird but they acknowledge it so that's but i will also say and this is kind of something i hate also Mm -hmm. um people just writing their lives into their work yeah but um as I mentioned, this was based on Richard Linklater meeting this woman in a toy sh- shop, and they kept in touch for a little bit, but then they fell out of touch. So this movie was actually Richard Linklater's attempt at getting her attention again. But That's really fucking pathetic. This is the saddest part, okay. is that she died, like, oh God, When? She died before the release of the movie in a horrific motorcycle accident in her early 20s. And that is why she never reached out and they lost contact. And he only found out right before the release of Before Midnight. And so Before Midnight is dedicated to her. Hmm. So that's that's very similar to what happened at the beginning of Before Sunset. Yeah. Where they were supposed to reconnect, but... But, like, it wasn't written because of that, because he only found out... Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. It's kind of scary. Yeah. Um, And also just a little fun fact. You know how in the beginning of the first movie, there's, like, a German couple arguing? Mm -hmm. He left the subtitles out, but what's actually happening is that the man is reading a newspaper, and it says how 70,000 women are addicted to alcohol, and he says to his wife, you're one of them, and she says that he's actually an alcoholic, um, and he replies, I have a reason to do it. I'm married to you. Huh. So they're having a really great argument. <laughs> so fun. <laughs> um, also, Jennifer Aniston and Gwyneth Paltrow auditioned for the lead. That's interesting. Weird. That is Because, like, yeah. they couldn't have been French women no. in that case, right? No. Like, I hope not. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, no, that would not have worked. I'm glad they, they went with Julie. After watching these, though, I can't believe that uh, I can't believe that he made School of Rock. <laughs> That's the one movie of his I like. I've even seen Dazed and Confused, and I didn't like it. So School of Rock, I think you know how, <clears throat> like, I think very early in the podcast we talked about how like Aaron Sorkin movies always feel like Sorkin movies. They don't feel like whoever the director is. Like I, School of Rock is just a Jack Black yeah. movie. Like I really think yeah. Richard Linklater's like name was on that movie, but Jack Black was kind of like, "This is what we're doing," because it's too good to be a Richard Linklater movie, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it does just feel like a Jack Black directed yeah. movie. If there was his fingerprints are all over it, um, and like if really if it was Linklater, 
like actively behind the scenes being a super involved director do more stuff like that because that movie's fucking good and funny and like stop with this bullshit like just make more good stuff (sighs) yeah that one's that one's so much more um plot driven than any other thing i've seen yeah absolutely well i think though i've only i've only seen like these school of rock and boyhood pretty sure that's the only uh mark have you seen boyhood yes You've both seen Boyhood. It took twelve really? years to make, Carol. I know, but I still didn't see it. Yeah. I mean, but it took. Tw- I didn't see it in theaters. I just I saw yeah. it yeah, yeah, yeah. like a couple years after. I wish, movie. like at its best picture. You know how they always show scenes from the movie. I wish for Boyhood they were just like it took twelve years to make. Like they just put like black Words. yeah a black title card <laughs> with white text, and that was all they showed for Boyhood. And it's like this is the only reason it's nominated, guys. Just so we're all aware. Okay, another fun fact. Mm-hmm. The second movie, which we all loved because it was so simple and took place in real time, uh, was supposed to be filmed in four locations with a much larger budget, but he didn't secure funding Good. for that, which I think was a blessing in disguise. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I have a really angering fun fact is that um, Julie Delpy's agent at the time of the second movie tried to dissuade her from doing it because... Uh, he said it was a stupid movie that no one's going to see, and he told her to go to the gym instead, and then fired her the same day. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, that was, like, that was one of the better of the trilogy, so it's a good thing. Also, can you imagine if this entire trilogy hinging off the chemistry between these two actors, if they just recast oh the stupid movie and pretended that it was the same Well, person? that's the th- like, and also just, it gets brought up in, like, the second and third films. She keeps being like, oh, I'm a fatty. You think I'm fat? And I'm like, first of all, where? Like, I know. I know the first movie was in the 90s, and, like, we were fat shaming everyone who was above a double zero. But by the time the second and third one come out, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I know, it's ridiculous. Her... especially in the third one and i get it like because it's it's her insecurity about like he clearly cheated on her and so like that's where it's coming from she's had children sure that changes your body in ways that you can truly never recover from. absolutely absolutely but also you shouldn't have to or be expected to in any way yeah totally abortion should be legal it's very topical (laughs) but like abortion should be legal just talking about all the feminist you're never you're not gonna um find any disagreement from that anyone on this on this (laughs) kill all the babies i don't give a shit um but uh yeah it is just funny when she's talking about that and i'm like you are a very beautiful attractive woman but also like i guess that's the point is like that she feels that way because of how toxic the relationship is and what she's been through even though she's objectively very beautiful and attractive but yeah it's just it's a funny disconnect i agree okay and i just have one more fun fact um in the last movie I guess in the second movie is where I should begin um, when they're t- reconnecting and they're talking about, you know, where their lives are at. And Jesse says he has a kid and he asks Celine if she has one. And she says, oh, no, I left my two daughters in the car. That's like funny because then the third film starts with her in the car with her two daughters. Wow. They brought it back. And that's all Four my This is what I'm saying, though. Like, this is why... <laughs> Like, the third movie is a movie. Like, it actually is, yeah. like, paying attention to things. Even the fact that the third movie ends with a fight, like, a bickering fight. The first movie starts with a bickering fight between a couple. Like, there, are, like, there is love and care outside of just, yeah. like, we're gonna film people talking put into the third movie. Um, and, yeah, not all of it works all the time. But, like, God, I, what, I'm telling you guys, when that pan-up shot happened... 
Like, I know we already talked about it, but I I was, like, so, you me, like, in the midst, but, midst of COVID, just dying on the couch, and the, the camera panned, and I was like, thank you. Like, thank you for having a camera move. I'm just confused of why that one in particular got you, because one of the like one of the first or one of the early shots in the first movie had that too because that and that connects to something that one other problem i had with the last movie is i think it was too reliant on callbacks and that was a callback because i think all of the movies have like shots of their shoes and then panning up to them so i think that's all sure but i think for me it was less like the physical camera move part of it but also just like the way the movie looked like even just like when it started and like the visuals and the color and all that i was like oh my god like this is a modern looking this movie wasn't made for two dollars with a fucking disposable camera this looks like it was i mean it was made for approximately the same budget as the other i know but but, like look how far technology has come that it can like actually look good and like not you know what i will say the third movie did have a camera move that even i noticed and you know famously i don't notice shit Mm -hmm. like that um, but they were sitting at the dinner table by the water, and I don't remember if it was before the fight or after the fight, because they sat there twice, but you, it was them talking, and it started, obviously, with, I don't even know what any shots are called, so I'm just going to describe it to you guys, sure. imagine it. It started with a shot of them <laughs> sitting and talking, mm-hmm. and then as they discussed it slowly, like, moved back, so you could see more. Oh, that was the very last shot of Was the it? Yeah. Okay, and that I yeah. really noticed, and I was like, whoa, I feel like nothing like that happened in the other movies. Yeah, movie. it was cinematic. Crazy. Yeah. That was nice. Yeah. Yeah. Even a lot of the staging and choreography of their argument, like, I thought was yeah. really well done, of, like, having them constantly, like, she's naked, and then... That she... part kind of felt like a stage play, with her, yes. like, entering and exiting, and him, like, flopping on the couch. Yeah. yeah that was really cool. And I really liked that, because I was, like, at, at its core... All you can hope to achieve with movies this style is to make them feel like a good stage play. Like, if it's just going to be a very stripped-back characters talking in rooms, cool, yeah. make it feel like a stage play. And that scene really... That's why that scene works so well for me, is I was like, there's nice blocking here. She's naked a lot of it, which is kind of weird. But, like, then she, like, puts her clothes on, and he tries to get naked. But then even just, like, the, like his reaction of, like, all right, we're not having sex. And, like, he puts his pants back on, <laughs> and, like, they go to fight. Like, it just was all very, like... Like, I was like, oh, this is nice. Like, there's there's... They're not yeah. just turning corners. Like, there, there's, like, actual stuff happening there. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah. I think all this to sum up, like, there is merit within these movies. These aren't just because I didn't have a great time with them. Like, that is not to say they're bad movies. Um, and, you know, just stemming off what, the, what we were just talking about, they're very well made, too and like well directed like it's they just don't for me i guess the one problem is they just don't equal the sum of their parts yeah that's the best way i could put it totally i i but for some people it it would it might i mean it has 100 percent on rotten tomatoes depends yeah so (laughs) yeah what do the other ones have they're pretty high they're all in the 90s i think yeah the second one was like they're all in the 90s I think the third one was like 96 or something, yeah. and the second one was 93-ish. Yeah. I mean, I think, okay. but... Oh, the second one was the lowest? Yeah. Really? Probably because it was like the shortest. I would assume yeah. is probably why. Um, even though I probably. think it's pretty close for being the best, for me anyway, and you had it as the best day. I will say, it was definitely yeah. jarring for it just ending as soon as she says, you're going to miss your flight, and then boom. I that was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The fade out. 
especially. Yeah, and it's not even that it ended on that line or that note. Like, I think just even in the editing yeah. of it, it was too sudden. I agree, I like, yes. The transition, that's yeah. not was... good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I know I don't make movies, but I'm telling you that's not good. <laughs> no, I thought, I agree. You know what it made me think of is, like, like, they were waiting for the print to be finished, and the editor was just, like, frantically trying to edit the last scene, and then, like, Richard was like, come on, like, we need this, I need to go bring it to this place, and he was like, okay, okay, and they just, like, cut to black, and he was like, done, 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 and, like, nobody thought about that whatsoever. Well, it wasn't even, I, it would have been better. No, it's a fade, it's a black, weird fade. Yes. fade out as she's awkwardly dancing. It's so, <laughs> it's weird. so it's weird. So yeah, weird. as Nina Simone. Yeah. Uh, it's so yeah. weird. Yeah. Okay, I do want to say something else that didn't really come up too much, but. Sure. Ethan Hawke, like, specifically, obviously, is great in this, but I also love Ethan Hawke. I think he is so great in literally everything I've seen him in, and I'm... <laughs> He's wasted I, I've heard. Way. It's unfortunate. Um, <laughs> even going as far back as Dead Poets Society, which I don't know, like, what your guys' thoughts are, but I personally really love that movie, and he was, like, a little... I've never seen, seen that. It. You got... What the fuck? <laughs> Again, we went to the same high school. I saw it, like, Added three times in high school. Nope. Okay. I really love that movie. No. Uh, is that the one with Robert, uh, yeah, Robin yeah. Williams? And, okay. No, well, I, I would recommend watching it. <laughs> Ethan Hawke. I've it, heard good things. It's like his breakout performance, and he was kind of like a child. But he, he's really, really good, and he gets, like, a big emotional crux turn at the end that's really, really satisfying and emotional and good. And, like, everything that I've seen him in, he is so good in. But I'm so frustrated <laughs> that he chooses to keep working with Richard Linklater because, like, so much of his time is taken up by doing these dumb projects. They've done 10 things together. I know. And I'm kind of like, can you yeah. go work with someone else? Because I would and love... one of them took 12 years, so... <laughs> yeah, I know. I, it's like, I can't believe the wasted talent of, like, he's just working with this one guy. Like, and then, yeah, and then he shows up in Moon Knight and is also wasted. But it's like, God damn it! Like, can we just put him yeah. in something else from another person? Please? Please? Because I really love him. Yeah, like, he's, yeah. he's a great actor. And I, he recently, like, this clip has been surfacing around the internet of him talking about, like, cinema <clears throat> and basically, like, defending superhero movies, but then also being like, it's important that those movies exist, but also, like, all types of movies should exist. And, like, I love those movies, and, like, I would love to be in those movies and whatever, but also, like, it's not the be-all, end-all of movies. And, like, it was just, like, such a wonderful, like, good take on that subject that I feel like has had only bad takes. Because it's either people being, like, fuck everything or it's people being like those movies aren't art but his was like such a well-rounded normal person take to have and i was like ah and i know like we always say like he could be an asshole but like yeah seemed like cool and he's really talented and i would just like to see him in other stuff sure yes we're ending on that all right go ethan (laughs) hawk although i will say he's like super out of Julie Delpy's league or like Julie Delpy's like very out of his league I mean maybe it's just a me thing I personally don't find him attractive like even a tiny bit so but I like I get it he's charismatic I don't find him attractive as he's aged I think when he was younger he was a bit more like traditional like cute but not like I still don't think so I don't think he's ever (laughs) I just don't like his facial (laughs) I agree like I think that's why when he's more baby faced I'm like all right you look like like a preteen that like sure someone might enjoy but like as he's gotten older i'm kind of like as as he's gotten older a preteen someone might enjoy marco you know like (laughs) but do you know what i mean when it's like when you're young it's not 
there's like different standards where it's like as, as long as you look well put together and like clean and like relatively cute like if you're a man sure sure like yeah he had the best hair in yeah, exactly uh, movie. he's had the best overall look when he was young now, as he's gotten older he's really just uh isn't it nice that when you're a man if you just have nice hair and look relatively put together people will call you attractive yes. that's really funny yes i mean it's true though <laughs> i love that it's true it's an unfortunate reality of society <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's by no means a heartthrob but um yeah, yeah and he only gets worse <laughs> as as time goes on so i think i love how we went from yeah put him in more movies i think we should just end with yeah it just gets, <laughs> gets older and it gets worse we should just like no it's just like in the last movie he has like shaggy yeah. like from yeah. scooby-doo yeah. hair yeah, it looks. Stupid. Maybe he's a know. big old stoner now. We didn't see enough of his life. It was just like a day. He does not strike me as a stoner. He's very intense. I don't. Yeah. Yeah, especially not. Yeah. As he got older. Maybe as a young man. We'll never know. We'll never know. Thanks again for listening to the feature length podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you liked this video or audio. Give us a rating and review. If you want to stay up to date with the latest episodes of this podcast, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Make sure you hit the bell to be notified when we post a new video. Or follow the podcast on Spotify. If you want to connect with us directly, you can follow us on Instagram at FeatureLengthPodcast or even send us an email at FeatureLengthPodcast at gmail.com. Catch you on the flip side!